1: Chris trigger and is still a favorite for all types of shooters whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns log on to midwayusa.com
2: this segment is brought to you by jig masters step up your game with high quality performance jigs spinner baits buzz baits and more from jigmasters.com and always when in doubt get the jig out
3: Welcome to the Feather and Fur segment on the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. Join me, Brad Herlebuss, as we sit around the campfire with this week's special guest to talk hunting, dogs, traditions, and all things outdoors. Welcome back to another episode of Feather and Fur Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Brad Hurlbus, and tonight we have a special guest on. Her name is Sharman Sams, and she is a guide and an outdoors woman, so we are going to bring her on right away. Here we go. Welcome to the show, Sharman.
4: Hey, thanks, Brad.
3: Um, yeah, so we kind of met through Instagram for a quick little background, like everybody seems to these days. and. <laughs> I thought your profile was super interesting. It looks like you have, lead you a know, really outdoors life throughout hunting, fit, guiding, ranching, it even looks like. So I, I really wanted to get you on just to see what it was like out west.
4: It's a whole nother experience for sure. <laughs> it's beautiful country.
3: It, it looks a little rugged too, though. I mean, it
4: is. It looks it a is. little There's more rugged
3: some... than Wisconsin.
4: Right, right. It's, uh, and the, the beauty about Oregon is, is that there's so many different, um, like topographical and geographical areas. Like we have, like right now I'm like, I'm in Hepner, Oregon, which is like the top it's Eastern Oregon, but it's Northeastern Oregon, but the top of the high desert. So central Oregon isn't that far away, like Redmond Bend, um, you know, in that area. And then you know I'm two mile or about two hours um, west of like the Blue Mountains, and it's I mean we've got the coast, and it's not I mean you can be anywhere in four or five hours in the whole state. So
3: sure, just really diverse, and whatever you want for habitat, you almost can pick and choose what you want for habitat. If you want lowland, or if you want plains, almost, or mountains, or coast.
4: Exactly. I was raised in, in Northeastern Oregon in the grand area and it's in the blue mountains and more timber, more, you know, um, elk country. I mean, there's elk country here, but you gotta, it's, I mean, it's, I don't even know if it's showing or not, but like, <laughs> I'm in a very hilly area, not a lot of trees right now and is where I'm uh, living and working and it's, it's different <laughs> from sure. what we am with. So
3: Sure, I can only imagine. I mean, if, and if that's elk country, like elk hunting, and that's just got to be very difficult. Like, how do you hide?
4: Uh, well, the, <laughs> actually, from where I live and the ranch that I work for and and live on, from me, it's about a 45-minute drive, and you gain, like, about 3,000 feet in elevation, and you're in the timber. So All right. But we're in the prime bird area here where I'm at, upland game for chucker quail, um, pheasant. I mean, we've, we've got a nice variety and their wild birds are everywhere here, so. Oh,
3: that, that's awesome. I mean, we don't have, what? well, there's still little pockets of wild pheasants left in Wisconsin, but they pretty much disappeared with the change in the, in the farming practices. And that's really why I chase girls and woodcocks so much because I enjoy chasing a wild bird over a raised and planted bird.
4: Right. Right. So to hear
3: you have that much diversity, that's just kind of
4: amazing. Right. And we've got mule deer and a few white tails scattered here and there. And so we've got big game and we have wild turkeys. And in fact, this morning when I was um, headed to work, I in my driveway, there were two roosters fighting for mating season, you know, and I'm surprised there's usually a chucker. I'm sitting behind my house. There's usually a bunch of chucker back here so <laughs> <laughs> that are roaming around just like in my backyard. So.
3: Oh, that's gotta be great for dog training.
4: Oh yeah, it is actually. <laughs>
3: it what are what are the lo- what are the laws in Oregon for training dogs on wild birds in off season?
4: Um, you can train dogs privately anytime you want, and um, you can keep wings, and um, you know for scent. And they also sell, you know, different um, distributors sell different scents that you can put on dummies and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but I found that that wings help and we also they also allow us to um take doves and or uh, we actually use homing pigeons and put them in traps and and start them off with um not only the scent and getting them to work back and forth and and you know use the wind and just kind of hone their natural instinct but we also um you know get them to steady you know to shot too so
3: Absolutely. And that's all on private grant. Are you allowed to train on public land in the off season at all? Because in Wisconsin, I can train up until April 15th on public land or yeah, tax day and then not again until August 1st.
4: Yeah. In Oregon, I, I'm not I've always worked privately and, and sure, I own ranches private, too. I don't work for I mean, I work for my own ranch, but I also work <laughs> for another private ranch and um, they no problems. The only thing that's sure. weird about Oregon and dogs is is in Oregon, you can't hunt anything besides birds, you know, waterfowl and upland game or bobcats in Oregon with dogs. You can't hunt bear, you can't hunt um, uh, cougars, you can't hunt anything in Oregon with dogs or any kind of hounds except for And you also can't um, bait, no baiting. You can't bait bears, you can't any of that, so
3: so bear bear bears really that's that's far different than wisconsin because a big thing there's two ways to hunt bear in wisconsin and that's baiting or dogs i mean that's pretty much what it is there's no spot and stock there's no call there's nothing i mean it's dogs or baiting
4: yeah no it's all for bear it unless you're like in bear territory in oregon it's pretty much all spot and stock here so
3: that's that's crazy that's just a completely different style of hunting
4: right right
3: and then what about rabbits? Can you run dogs and rabbits there? Or do you not have a lot of rabbits?
4: We have rabbits, but a lot of our species are, are protected. So okay. that's another issue. Like um, we we have cottontails that are protected. And, you know, so rabbits really aren't, wild rabbits aren't really a big hunting sure. here. And, and I I mean, I don't, eat, I, I don't hunt rabbit. I mean, hunt coyotes, which coyotes are a predator in Oregon. And so you don't need to even need a tag for them. Um, and there's no limit, um, because they're predatory, but, um, yeah, rabbits, I, I don't hunt rabbits. so I, I, <laughs> I on mean,
3: that topic. Ra- Rabbits is a, like my Griff, um, loves Oops. chasing rabbits. Like she'll oh, yeah. flip from bird to fur instantly. If she gets on a hot rabbit trailer, it drives me bonkers. Cause I won't shoot <laughs> them. Over, I won't shoot them in front of her or over her. Cause I don't want her to keep chasing it, but right. I can instantly tell the difference when she picks up hot rabbit and it's gone. Like. She, if I could get her to focus like that on birds, right. oh <laughs> look out. But I mean, it's something about her and rabbits, even in my subdivision. Like I take her for a walk because I live in the suburbs, but I'll, I, I run her quite a bit on public land. Um, and on public land in Wisconsin, we have designated dog training areas, which are open year round to run on, which is nice. Oh, I um, plus a lot of farmers are willing to work with you. Like, especially if like winter wheat or alfalfa and you just say, hey, I just want to exercise my dog in your field most of them really don't have a problem with that.
4: Right, right.
3: Which which is nice. I mean, it just opens up some more land. When you start asking it's also a really good intro if you're trying to get permission around here to hunt cuz now you've already established that relationship and shown you're responsible.
4: Right, and respectful. That's another thing. Right. Here. there's a right. lot of land around here and um and Onyx <laughs> not to plug any other, you know, apps or anything, but Onyx is is your friend around here because you can go from um you know BLM land to i mean and it doesn't look like there's a fence there but all of a sudden you've crossed into private property and or CRP ground and like it's it's sometimes a, a tricky uh, uh avenue unless you really know the area that you're hunting around you know whatever unit you're hunting you you really should invest in something that's going to tell you boundaries around here because People, we, they take trespassing here pretty seriously because, you know, I mean, there's cattle, they don't want their livestock, you know, hurt, injured, wounded, you know, they also don't, you know, want people on their land just because, and cattle wrestling and, and horse thieves are still a thing around these parts, so.
3: That's, that's, I, I will agree 100% with Onyx I mean, I, have talked about Onyx before on the show. I use it year round for hunting, for fishing. Everything. I mean, I right. I always have Onyx on my phone and right. on a tablet, and I use it on my computer. I use the whole trio of it all to figure out what I'm going to do for the next time I go I go out on the water. But crazy, I never would have thought like horse like horse thieves are really still a thing. <laughs>
4: yeah, they are. Well, I mean, <laughs> and so in Oregon, like not to get off the subject of hunting, but livestock wise, um, when you sell cattle in Oregon through the sale yard, all the brands have to be inspected. So um, if you know you have cattle stolen brand branding cows in Oregon is like your title to that animal. And sure. so if you had you know five head of steers stolen and then you know mysteriously like a month later five steers come through the sale with your brand on it somebody's going to be in big trouble. So
3: so that's how they kind of track it. I, that that makes sense cuz how else are you really going to track it? I mean
4: Yeah, ear I mean out i mean there's i mean and yeah there's branding is is something that's permanent and you know there's two types of branding there's hot branding where you burn them or there's cryo branding too where it's like a liquid nitrogen brand but i mean and it has to be visible and every so brands are registered in this state so they have to be when you register it you have a specific place you're going to put it you're either going to put it on like you know, say the right flank or, you know, the left rib or so, you know, even if somebody tries to make a branding iron with your brand on it, it still has to be in that certain place. So, and air tags, a lot of people, you know, we have air tags for the ranch that I work for that has, you know, the owner's last name on them and the number, so we can keep track of our cows and calves and all that stuff. But, um, the, um, uh, they can be cut out easily, you sure, know,
3: just, sure. Oh, so that and i mean if you ever get lost cattle i'm sure that probably still happens out there i mean at least an ear tag tells the owner
4: right and and running through you know i mean we have so much big game here like i mean they'll tell you about miles and miles and miles of fence and oregon is actually an open range state so um you've in oregon the law states that you fence your property to keep livestock out not to keep livestock in So, um, like you'll be driving like down in Southern Oregon through like Jordan Valley and there's cows all over the road and highways and, and just out in the open range. And that's perfectly acceptable. Like that's, and so if we get cows misplaced or, you know, elk tear out the fence and we have them on property owners were pretty good about going, Hey, you got some cows out they're on my property or whatever, but like. You know, beware of the driver who's driving down the highway that's not from the state that you know is doing 60 miles an hour on an open lane and and hits a cow because that's not the owner's fault. <laughs> <So>. Sure, sure. <laughs> so
3: it's up to the private property owner to fence their property if they don't have cattle and don't want cattle on it. Then
4: right, right. Interesting. Yep. Th-
3: that that's far different than here. At least I, I believe it is. I I don't have cattle or anything, but I know all the I know all the farms around here fence their own farm.
4: Right. so so
3: that tells me it's different
4: right and some and some people you know you'll get people who just moved to the state you know out of state or and they buy some property or whatever and they're like well your cows are on my property and you know i'm gonna charge you rent or i'm gonna you know i mean just not knowing and and you know and then somebody you know or they call and inquire you know what do i do They call the sheriff i've got you know these cows or you know whoever and and they're like well, you're just going to have to see if you can locate the owner because you're, you're just as much responsible. You know, if we have neighboring fence, we're both responsible for keeping it maintained. So yeah, it's just one person's responsibility. So
3: that makes sense. So is it calving season there then?
4: Um, We just finished calving. So our calving season started in around the end of December, first part of January. And we calved out about 600 cows and heifers. Heifers are, are, um, young cows that have never had a calf before. So a heifer is one that hasn't had a calf Okay. Uh, and cows have had, you know, one or more calves. So, um, we calved out about 600 and we just branded, we've got about 80, 80 to hundred head left still that are late calvers, just cause they, the bull got to them late evidently. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're gonna have branding here shortly. So we're waiting, still waiting on a few calves. So
3: that's, so that's gotta be a really busy time of year though.
4: Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I usually do the night shift. So I usually work like 7 PM to 7 AM and I go out, I mean, it gets, it gets cold here and, you know, got to make sure that, you know, if they're having any trouble having the calf or if they're, you know, if it's cold enough, sometimes you got to be right there to pick the calf up just so you can, it doesn't freeze to the ground. You know, and it, it sometimes gets so cold that when the mom goes to clean it off, that it's, it's tough, you know?
3: <laughs> so Sure. Sure. That's, that's, it's gotta be a stressful time too. Like I would just think about that. It's gotta be stressful. I mean, so much, so much of the ranch rides on that, I'm sure.
4: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to think, I mean, that's, that's all, you know, that's, that's your crop, you know, I mean, in ranching, you know, you produce livestock and farming, you produce a crop and, and we're, I mean, we're just as dependent on, you know, things beyond our control. I mean, we can, you know, vaccinate, we can do take all the steps necessary, but you know, there's things that are out of our control, just like with farming and the weather, you know, so.
3: Right. So how did you get started in the lifestyle from ranching, hunting, growing up Oregon, I guess.
4: Right, and it's (laughs) Oregon, not Oregon. Oregon.
3: Sorry, I'm from Wisconsin and we drag out everything.
4: I'm just teasing, Um, but it is Oregon, no. (laughs) (laughs) But it is. So um, I was actually, I'm pretty blessed. I was born into the ranching lifestyle. I'm a third generation ranch owner. Um, I was pretty much raised by my grandfathers and they are the ones that taught me how to hunt. And um, I just fell in love with it. And, you know, they taught me how to take care of my animals, harvest, you know, um, my animals, clean them, process them you know, um, just be respectful of the animal, you know, I mean, and, and hunting and just, I, and I felt, and then I got into birds and my boys all hunt. I have three boys. They're 26, 22 and 14. They all hunt. They hunt big game, upland game and waterfowl too. Um, they're more waterfowl freaks though. I'm, I, I, I'm an upland game girl. Like I, when it comes to birds, they'll <laughs> they couldn't get up in the morning at 6 a.m. to go catch the bus to go to school, but they could get up at 3 a.m. to go get a good draw on a federal pond so that they could <laughs> shoot ducks. You know. Sure, sure. That, see, that's that's
3: that's unique too. That's not like Wisconsin. We don't have public lines. We don't have draws. It's first come first serve to a spot. It, so i mean and marshes can get very very busy around here it's hard to find that's kind of why i took up kayak hunting um was to get into different areas that other boats can get into right um but we have no draws like there's no getting there at 3 a.m waiting for draws or like what you see down south where like uh wildlife officers letting boats go at a certain amount of time only one per boat for so often stuff like it's it's not like that here at all it's I know guys for opening day. So our opening morning is a regular opener. Now it used to be a noon, then they went to nine AM and now it's standard time. Uh-huh. Um they'll go out the afternoon before and sleep in the marsh. <laughs>
4: yeah. My kids would probably do something like that too. But <laughs> but it's a first come, first serve on the draw. It's not a it's not, okay. not a, you know, wh- whoever shows up first. Like and they have um, you know, game people out there, fish and wildlife people, and you know, and they okay, we're gonna put We've got six ponds, and we're gonna take twenty people. So, you know, here everybody gets to draw, you know. So, but all right, their twentieth person or twenty-first person, they're gonna be like, "Nope, we're full," you know. So, and then they turn them away. So that's why you want to be there early because it is first come, first serve for the draw.
3: (laughs) Got (laughs) it. And but the draw is ran. Is the draw random then? So if they're taking twenty people, you don't know what pond or what spot. Do they also tell you what spot on the pond you have to be on?
4: Um, it depends on how big the water is, you know, I mean, some ponds are small and, you know, they're only going to put, you know, if they have a party of three, they're only going to put a party of three on them, you know? So it, it just depends. Sometimes you'll get like places that have like, you know, five or on a big marsh, you know, five or six spots that they'll just, they'll scatter you out and they'll say, okay, you're on three and we got two on five and you know, they just separate them out that way. Sometimes like my boys would go with like 10 of their friends. And you know they wouldn't all get no way. Usually, did they ever all get to hunt on the same pond? So
3: sure, sure. That's unique. It's it's always it's always interests me how different states handle different challenges. Whereas right. Wisconsin's just a free for all. Like you, you hear <laughs> Like you hear people suggesting that we do things like this in certain areas because it's not big enough to hold the number of hunters that want to be
4: there. Right. Right. And so, so nobody. I'm- so nobody regulates like the amount of people that are, that are on a pond?
3: No. That's crazy. No, not at all. So like Horicon Marsh, mm-hmm. which from memory serves me, is the largest freshwater marsh in North America. Uh-huh. Um, there's a federally protected area that which you cannot hunt at all. But the area you can hunt, uh-huh. as many people that want to pack in there can pack in there.
4: Oh my goodness. That would make so, for a long
3: day. <laughs> it it does. It can definitely make for a long day. Um, I was hunting a marsh this last fall, and I got in. I got way back there. I was the first one there. I hear someone start calling behind me, and I mean close, like fifty yards off to like my uh, what would that be? My seven o'clock. I'm like, there's no way someone's over there. Like they couldn't have gotten past me. Cause I, I thought I came in in the only direct from the water I'm, I'm in the only direction you can get
4: there. Right.
3: Sure enough, someone shoots. I paddle out and look their decoys are 40 yards from me and they found a back way to walk in. I didn't know I was there.
4: Oh my goodness. Yeah. And that's, there's that's sketchy sometimes. So.
3: And there's no possible way they didn't know I was there. And that's why people like ask for some things like that, where they're like, if we could regulate people, cause you have people that just Hey, this is where I hunt. This is my spot. I don't care if you got here first. This is my spot. Which that's not how public land works,
4: right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and and in Oregon, like like I said, they do the federal, you know, water they the ponds and stuff, the marshes. They they're really good about regulating those. And but and depending on what season, I mean, it could be you know Canadian geese, it could be you know whatever. And but the um upland game though like if you're hunting on public land or even big game on public land like it's i mean it's a free-for-all and and it sometimes gets hectic i mean and there's people that have been in the same spots for years and years and years and years and they're like this is my spot you know but they'll go up a week before the season starts park trailers like (laughs) unload all their (laughs) stuff and then they'll come back a week later and all and they're surrounded you know i mean sure you know, it's just, it's one of those things that, I mean, I, like I said, I, my mom and I co-own and operate a ranch together in Eastern Oregon. And I've been blessed that it's, it's 2,500 acres and we have big game and I've always been blessed to be able to hunt private land, but I have hunted public, a lot of public land too. And it's, I mean, it's, it's almost scary. Like, I mean, because you never know who's around you. You don't know their experience. You don't know, you know, I mean. And are they safe i mean are they not right. nice? if do they see you you know you always want to try and stay as visible as you can but how do you spot and stalk when you know you're <laughs> when you've got 50 other people are you know within 500 yards of you doing the same thing and you can't see any of them you know so right. i mean it's, are, it's a little so
3: crazy. for big game hunting like what how hard is it to take how hard is it to for an out-of-state like me to draw a tag for elk or mule deer or
4: um, the the prized um, elk or um, bull elk tags in Oregon are for Rocky Mountain. I, I can't speak too much to Roosevelt because I live on the east side of the Cascades and I've always hunted over here. West side sure. of the Cascades is the Roosevelt, so I I'm not familiar with that. But um, you could it's in Oregon big bull not likely. Um, they give preference points here. And so um, you put in for the draw, and if you don't get your tag, then they give you a preference point. And so your preference points start adding up, even if you um, get just by putting in, you get preference points. Sure. And what happens is is that so like Mount Emily Unit and the Wanaha Unit are the big, big, like prize. It takes sometimes there. I mean, they're the hunt of a lifetime for big bowl. Um but everything else is um, spike only, pretty much. I mean, there's a there's other bull draws, but those two are the once-in-a-lifetime hunts in Oregon, pretty much. So, Got it. But uh, the general draw is um, uh, it's usually spike only. So we, as a landowner, based on our acreage, I think it's uh, one two thousand to four thousand nine hundred and ninety nine acres. You're allowed. Uh, four LOP tags, which are land under preference tags. So, but we have to like, it's, so it's me, my mom's husband, um, my stepsister and my oldest son usually take those tags and we have to put in for them. And, and <laughs> the crazy thing is, is they put us in the general draw first, even though we have LOP tags. So <laughs> it, they've taken all of our preference points to hunt on our own land, but the, the, the we take we're in Starkey unit, so we hunt the South Starkey unit private. And and so you can't during and it's a cow elk hunt because we hunt for meat. Um, sure. and we've all and we've we've all been fortunate and had our bull time. But um they uh with the private, you can't during that hunt, you cannot hunt public land. You have to hunt that end of that unit and private land only.
3: Sure, that makes sense.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's getting more and more regulated. Archery season used to just be able to drive or excuse me, drive used to be able just to buy uh over the counter tag for archery season. And you could harvest um, a doe, a buck, a cow or a bull elk. And um, now archery here in 2021 for the draw is all draw for archery. And you have to declare a unit. Didn't used to be have to declare a unit for archery.
3: All right. So, is it a population issue, or is it just a number of hunters' issue now?
4: I I, I don't know. If you talk to some hunters in my area, <laughs> they, it was a west side of the state issue. But <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> um, because you know that's where Portland is and the metropolitan areas, and you know they live a different lifestyle than we do, and, and sure, you know, and and a lot of people don't understand. I'm a firm believer that that hunting is preservation. I mean, you have to have some type of regulation and, and, uh, on, on herd management and, you know, stuff like that. Like we, we want the, that's why the, the big bull tags are, you know, so controlled, which I agree with, you know, I mean, you should have to, you know, know what you're doing when you go into those areas and, and, you know, and, and ha- it should be something that you wait for that way. You'll I think you'll have more respect for, for what you're doing and the animal too, you know, and it's, but. I I, I don't know that the answer is, you know, just more regulations, more regulations, more regulations, you know, sometimes over-regulated and then, then you have too much, you know, like, I mean, Idaho, not very far away from, I mean, Oregon and Idaho border each other and Oregon, um, wolves are protected. They, you cannot, and, in Idaho, they're not, you can shoot as many wolves as you want. Like coyotes Sure. You know, so it's, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things. So,
3: and Wisconsin actually had its second wolf hunt ever this past winter. Oh,
4: wow. And it,
3: and it was after, I don't remember how many years there was in a break because when they were federally listed, it got shut down. We got it in, they got delisted. We got a hunt in really quick. They got relisted. And then we were actually able to put together a hunt real quick this last winter when they were delisted again. Yeah. Which that had all of its own controversy because they set a limit and within three days they were over the limit trying to shut it down
4: right and see and that's another thing here too so there's not a bag limit there's not a bag required for coyote or predators and livestock and um uh not necessarily around here. like it's oh Everywhere here. I was just riding in the mountains and I have on video, actually on my Instagram, and I was like, I mean this coyote was literally 25 feet away from me and not, and I smooched at him and he turned around and looked at me, not even scared of me. And he had stalked me at, down a draw. I ran into like five of them that day, stalking cows and calves at our water holes. Like we had, I had to yell at my co-worker who was on horseback too because the coyote was stalking his dog that he was moving cows with. And he had no idea it was behind him. And but now with um and the coyotes in this area, they used to have um a weekend like it'd start at five o'clock on Friday evening and then um go through five o'clock Sunday evening and have big prizes and stuff for um just predator control, just trying sure. to, trying to get rid of as many coyotes as you could, and there was like teams, and like they had raffles and prizes and stuff. And ODFW is like, nope, not going to do that anymore. Or gonna put Department of Fish and Wildlife, we're strictly going to go to. um, You can still hunt them, but on your own. You can't hunt them as like an event like that. Sure, sure. Uh, and they're like, nope, we're going to fly them, and we're going to do this. And I'm, and so it was just like two weeks ago, and we were up in the high country in the mountains, and I'm like okay, so where, where, where's the helicopters? Where, where are they flying? Cause I mean, five within, you know, I mean, the farthest one away from me was a hundred yards, you know, I mean, that's crazy and, it's, and they are stalking us and they are not scared at all. You know, I mean, we've, and, cause they stalk our dogs too. So when, we're sure. cows, because that's, you know, fun time for them, they'll follow a dog sometimes farther than they'll follow a wounded cow or calf. So.
3: See, we are, our coyote season here is open year round as well. All you need is a small game permit. There's no bag limits, daily limits, anything like that. Right. Um, it's very different from what I've read from out west, where you can call and hunt those open plains. Whereas we're hunting them here in timber, and right. they're not nearly as call susceptible as they are out west. They won't come running hundreds of yards away. They don't right. do
4: that. Right, and you can call but the only thing is, is that they they get skittish. And, you know, like areas that have been hunted a lot, like, you know, vehicles, they're not worried. You can see them, they'll run right across the road in front of you and out into a field and they'll stop and look at you as, you're, as long as you're driving by But as soon as they hear you stop, they're gone. Like they, they, they're they getting it figured out. But in the high country where, where we were at this couple of weeks ago, they're everywhere and not, not scared or shy of anything. So
3: the way that a lot of guys I know hunt um, is they use dogs.
4: Yep. And we and- can't. <laughs> right and
3: you can't so yeah. we i mean and the guys i know that did really well in the wolf hunts they run bear dogs and they run coyote dogs and they were able to just flip that switch and those are the guys that did really good on wolves too right so for us i mean we can use dogs in so many different ways um we can't hunt deer with dogs though we can use them to track wounded deer on a or, or um track deer on a leash
4: oh that's interesting
3: They have to be leashed and I don't, if I remember correctly, you can't have a weapon on you. Um, So we actually have um, not guides, but services where they train just like we would for upland hunting, but -hmm. they train for blood trailing and then they normally do it all for free too, because it's just more training and experience for the dog and they'll come out and they'll come out and they'll track your wounded deer for you.
4: Oh, wow. Yeah. And like um, with, uh, if we have livestock depredation from wolf or coyote kill or anything like that and like. Um, then we're, and we want to move forward or, you know, pursue like, you know, maybe a controlled hunt for wolf or, you know, anything like that. Like we have to take pictures and document it. The fish and wildlife has to come out and, you know, take a look at it. I mean, we had a cow uh, and I. I don't think it would. I don't know. It's hard to say. It was a big cow. She had twins. One of the twins was tucked away and hidden. And when we came up, um, the other twin had been ripped out of her uterus and the uterus was completely out of her, you know, prolapsed out wow. of her. Um, that calf was dead, but we, we managed to save the, uh, find the other twin that was hidden. So, I mean, there's no other explanation for that. I, it was some type of predator. I, I sure. know what badger or anything like that and it wasn't definitely wasn't a cougar like i mean it was it had to be it had to be a huge coyote or a wolf i mean it's it it, it was like i said it was not a pretty sight <laughs> and she ended up she must have got spooked off or something because uh, or the predator did because she ended up you could see it was a pretty fresh kill and she ended up hemorrhaging from bleeding out so
3: so the cow didn't make it either i'm assuming
4: Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah, she was dead when we got there, along with the. the-,
3: well, the- yeah. Sure. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean-
4: yeah. And then, ber- bird wise, we have, we also, that's another thing, too, is that if we have sick calves and stuff like that, we have a huge bird of prey population here. We have hawks, we have falcons, we have eagles, golden and bald eagles. And I mean, I've been guiding. Uh, guests for and <laughs> in fact the last hunt because through the ranch that I work for since we're uh, preserved and we also because we have to release so many birds a year and stuff and our season goes from um, the middle of September through March 31st and we're private property so we don't have a bag limit and like I said we have to keep track of our bird count how many were harvested sure. all of that and um, so uh, <laughs> I was taking my guest um, we were actually just going to go shoot plays. So we have a sporting clay course and there was a big, huge red tail hawk that had a chucker in its claws that flew right over the top of us and dropped a chucker right in front of us into the Creek. <laughs> so <laughs> so to, to be on the highway and watch two, two, uh, uh, hawks or. Eagles fighting over a, a rabbit is not an unusual thing. One of them got dropped on the hood of my pickup one day when I was headed to town. So,
1: hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing. Insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. That's crazy.
4: Yeah.
3: You have, you have wild game falling on your cars.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And then I've been, I mean, and I've, we've been on, I've been guiding hunts before and my dogs will be on point and I'll go up and, and cause I usually run two pointers and a, okay. a English pointers and a cocker to flush. And so, you know, one will go on point, the other will back them up to honor it. And then I'll get my, you know, hunters in a, you know, optimal shooting, safe sure. shooting position. And then I'll ask, make sure everybody's ready, send my cocker into flush. And the, and my cocker's like running around circles because they smell the scent. And then I get up there and, you know, when the cocker comes back and the pointer's clear and everybody's guns on safety, of course, Right. right. <laughs> then I'll walk up and sometimes it'll, you can see that it's a fresh hot kill, you know, where the bird sure. is, it's, I mean, torn apart and basically what's left is its bones and feathers, you know? So,
3: sure.
4: but you know, they catch the scent and they're like, whoop, yep, yep, stopping, you know? <laughs>
3: right. So how long have you been guiding for, do you? So you, you guide, I mean, we've already established this, obviously, and you guide for upland birds. Do you also guide for guide for big game then too?
4: I do. And I, I, this year at the ranch that I'm working for currently, um, so we're, I'm going to guide archery and big game this year. Last year, I just guided, um, upland game him, but I've guided, um, and done mentored youth hunts like individually on my own, you know, okay. since I started hunting for several years. So
3: what do you prefer? Big gamer watching your dogs work.
4: I, you know what? I, here's the thing. I like them both. I really. I have my bucket list. I want to kill a bighorn sheep. I want to kill a nice ram, and I would like to kill a wolf. I mean, and some people will argue with me or whatever, but I've seen what they've done to our livestock, and seen you know. I mean, sure. And and I have respect. I have utmost respect for it, but they are an apex predator. They're not an opportunist like a coyote, you know. So right. Um. I mean, but I like, I like big game and I like the cold morning, cold early mornings and, you know, hiking and, you know, being out there. I, I'm a spot and stock kind of person. Um, the ranch that I work for, we, there's a huge, you know, resident herd here that, um, and we spot and stock, but we can also do tree stands and, and so we can take people that aren't, you know, maybe as physically fit, you know, and we sure. have ground blinds and stuff. But but I love 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 watching my dogs work like I really do and that's I give my kids about time all the time because I'm like you guys are waterfowl like you know the, the lab he just waits goes in gets the bird brings it back my dogs like <laughs> I'm like I just sitting in a blind for a long time sometimes gets boring to me so I mean I like being out and walking miles and. You know, and watching my dogs send a chuck or, you know, or a cubby of quail or, you know, I mean, and, and just, it's just spectacular for me. To, and I always tell, you know, even my clients, I'm like, my dogs make me look good, you know? <laughs>
3: like oh, absolutely. I I, lo- I mean, it's.
4: very the enjoy the this situation, not necessarily me.
3: I mean, I enjoy a good waterfall hunt. Don't get me wrong.
4: Oh, me too. But sure. I, I, especially a banded goose. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
3: But I mean, there's something special to me about get, being up in the north. I spend quite a bit of my October up in the north woods of Wisconsin chasing grouse, which is about a three to four-hour drive depending on where I go. Right. And there's something special about waking up on those crisp fall mornings, and you got the fall leaves on the on the on the forest floor, and you're watching your dog work fresh scent and. Right. Yeah, and and then you hear and then you get that big explosion of a grouse through the wool through the woods, which you, which if you're lucky, you can actually get a shot off, let alone hit it.
4: Right. No. And I love hunting in the snow too. I love, and cause I love being able, especially people that have never hunted a preserve or, you know, or, or people have never hunted with dogs. I have I mean, I have people that have hunted all over the world that I've guided. And and then I have, you know, the once in a lifetime hunts too, that, you know, have never hunted. Like I like to hunt chucker with two pointers and a flusher. And then I like to hunt pheasants just strictly on the flush with three cockers. And it's, all it's, right. a, Experience and it's just, I mean, I, I can I will still run pointers if they're not comfortable. Some people aren't comfortable hunting on the flush, but you know, I mean, m- but my dogs are only raging like fifty yards in front of me. Like they're not. I mean, I mean, my cockers aren't blowing birds two hundred yards ahead of me. <laughs> so right, right. Know, still in shooting opportunity, but yeah, it's it's. It, but the the dogs are, they definitely they make me look good for the most part, <laughs> and they're a lot of fun to watch. So, but I, I know marvelous. that. They're not flawless all the time i mean oh no
3: oh no yeah. i agree they're still a dog and occasionally oh. they're going to make you look foolish as much as they make <laughs> you look amazing they will make you look foolish
4: Well, i can't tell you i can't tell you that i've never had one of my dogs like you know point a rabbit you know i mean
3: <laughs> sure so. sure my lab got real excited at one point i was taking out a youth hunter um for woodcock hunting mm-hmm. um And my lab got real excited because he was real proud of his bird and ripped up jumped up and tore half of it out of his hand and i mean only half of it right (laughs) i'm like nice nice work bud nice work
4: uh, no i've had the same situation and like it's tough like i usually try to run i have my one and two is actually a german short hair pointer and a, a english pointer and they hunt so differently. Like Muley, he, my GSP, he is so high headed and, and, and air sense and works high and ahead and a little faster. And then the English pointer is very low to the ground and more methodical. And I think they complement each other. Great. But I ran the English pointer with a different pointer one day and another male and he retrieves also. (laughs) And so my flusher Cocker and my um, other pointer got in a tug of war match with a bird and ripped the head off of a pheasant oh. and flung it all down the side <laughs> of my white English pointer. So my, oh. that my dog would been like seriously hurt. And <laughs> but I, nice. like, well, I promise it's just because they ripped that off your rooster. So. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Don't worry it was a really pretty bird we'll get you another one
4: (laughs) right hopefully you weren't wanting to mount that one No.
3: (laughs) (laughs) we'll get you one with a little bit softer of a mouth don't worry
4: (laughs) exactly (laughs) so yeah so running all males is tough sometimes just because they're good during the hunt but once a bird's down or they're like at a water station or something then you got to be really careful because then they're they're, then they're not focused anymore and then they want to fight so (laughs)
3: I understand that completely, only mine's a female. I rescued her at six and she has issues with other dogs big time. Um, I've got her to the point now where at least she'll vocalize. Before she wouldn't even vocalize. It would just be instant fight mode. Whereas now if another dog comes up to her, she'll vocalize. So a lot of the fights kind of end there unless it's a really dominant dog, which then I just get in between them real quick and we just shut that down. Um, But if, if that dog tries to press back again later, like even if it's not dominant, and like tries to sniff around. It's some quick like ar, ar, snaps and like, like aggressive enough, but like not like tear the flesh off the dog. But if you push her, she'll fight. I mean, it, okay. it's legit
4: dog fight. Yeah. No, I just actually I just adopted a Australian Cattle Dog, a Blue healer a week ago, and I think that it, well, he went from the breeder to the owners. He just turned a year on the twenty second of April, and the owners, you know, were I mean, circumstances just weren't conducive to his environment, and I think i am speculating but you know maybe that they were a bit intimidated by him because it's it, that's a different breed in itself and um they're very protective and very but they need to run they need it's just like a hunting dog you know it's like people. right you know, I mean, they need exercise to get that energy out and to get rid of their anxiety. And they had, they were in a situation, they were living in a hiding home, moving from property to property. So there was no like consistency for this dog. And, and, you know, he was not used to closeness. And then he went back to the breeder for a week before I got him. And there's five other dogs up there. And, and just in that week got the pack mentality back. And, you know, he's not intact. He's been neutered, but I mean, he got his Butt whipped a couple times by his dad, and um, just now he just you know is kind of he's now just not secure in who he is, and so we're sure. working on it. <laughs> so, but and that doesn't
3: change overnight. I mean, it took no. it took a solid year of working her and training her, right, to get her to even like reveal her personality. Like for that first three months, I don't know if her tail ever wagged unless if she was chasing a bumper or working bird scent. Like right. she'd walk around the house with her tail tucked tight.
4: Right. And see, he's not, he's, I'm fortunate, like in this past week, like he's come around, he's very, like when I first went up there he to meet him, cause I was like, no promises. The breeder reached out to me and I'm like, no promises. It's tough adopting an adult dog to begin with. And then knowing the breed standard and how, you know, protective, possessive, and, and sometimes, um unpredictable they can be. And, you know, and just, and I said, you know, I just have to meet him first. And like, he wouldn't even without a treat in my hand, he wouldn't even, wouldn't even let me touch him. And, sure. uh, but he was very gentle when he took it. And I just saw something in him and man, he is, he is so, <laughs> he is so attached to me now, but like, he's just, he's just very insecure about who he is and he just needs somebody to believe in him and just, you know, not be afraid of him. And, and I think, you know, like if you, you know, went to reach for him, like he would just grab your hand. And, and I don't know if the uh, previous owners weren't scared thinking that he was going to hurt them or what was going to happen. But, you know, I mean, that dog, he could hurt you if you want to, he's 40 pounds, you know, I mean, he's a big boy. I mean, he's not, I would hate to see him if he was intact. Like (laughs) he, he, he's a big dog. So, but Yeah. So then
3: you kind of get the whole round then, because you're training flushers, pointers, and cattle dogs then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's got to be unique, because everyone's slightly different.
4: Yeah, oh, for sure. And just getting to know their personalities, you know, and when I first came... Here, um, I came into a, a kennel, because I, I work for Rugs Ranch, and when I first, guide for them, when I first came in, I know I came into a kennel of 40 dogs, almost, that were all complete strangers to me, and it took, uh, I mean, I, I came months before the season started and just worked with the dogs, and, you know, not only conditioned them, got them in shape, but they definitely got me in shape. <laughs> sure. And um, just kind of got to know all their personalities, you know, and sometimes I, cause we, I run the kennel dogs for, for hunting. Um, the Australian kettle dog that I have is, is my only personal dog right now, but, um, that lives with me full time. But the German short hair pointer that we have is the only one in the kennel. All the rest are English pointers. And he, there's just something about that, that dog that (laughs) just attached to me and I'm attached to him. So when he retires, he's coming home with me too. So very nice. Very
3: nice. How old is he?
4: He is seven. So he, he's, He's getting close. He's got a couple more years left, in. we sure. usually do, you know, nine or so. But yeah, he's he's he. I laugh. His name is Muley. I call him my jealous boyfriend. <laughs> 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 so when I if I take another dog out of the kennel, he just he throws a tantrum. Like, are you serious right now? What about me? <laughs> That's <laughs> like, funny. You're gonna have to hunt every other day this week. So I'm trying to rest you right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's yeah.
3: funny. and then you were speaking of the dogs getting you in shape what's the average elevation you're hunting at
4: um it's not probably 2800 3200 feet like it's not super high but it's Tucker country and it's sometimes straight uphill and straight downhill and then you know i i as the guide i carry all the birds i you know i also carry all the ammo i also carry all the the water for my dogs if we're in between water stations. So sometimes my pack can be about thirty-five to forty pounds on top of walking, you know, twenty miles. So sure.
3: <laughs> what what is the mileage on an average hunt for you and the dogs? Like that, that has me real curious.
4: Well, we're we do so for packages through the ranch that I guide for. We do a three-hour hunt in the morning, and then we do a two-and-a-half-hour hunt in the afternoon, and we usually hunt chucker like huns and stuff in the higher elevations on different you know area rocky you know hilly stuff sage um for the three-hour hunt and then uh the lower lands and you know high grass and stuff in the afternoon for pheasants but we get a mixed bag because there's chuckers all through there too and quail and i mean they're everywhere like you can't just look at the land and go oh yeah there's only chucker there i mean i have a video of in the winter time of a chucker covey of like 30 and then two big roosters flying behind him so <laughs> it's a mixed bag here but so um the hunt manager he has the i just run garmin collars with just the tone and you know um, okay. i have the gps on them but he has he bought one that's got the garmin gps and in a three-hour hunt because you got to figure they're doing triple time of what we are and i think it was 32 miles a dog did in like three hours one of his dogs so.
3: so you're doing about ten miles. then. that that's
4: that's quite. Uh, a bit. I I think I I looked at my phone because I I set it on a pedometer thing and I ended up doing it was about eighteen miles. So
3: all right. So I will agree a hundred percent three times because my dog when we're hunting grouse is about three times. Right. Um, um, and on it back
4: and forth and oh let me come back and we'll check in and then we'll go ahead and yeah. <laughs>
3: And i'll be i mean six seven miles in the area i hunt that that, i'm feeling it after that but i'm hunting thick timber like there's no just i mean you're hunting the hills you got the rocks like you have elevation changes where i'm not i don't have to deal with that but i'm climbing over logs under branches i'm constant like i use i just actually switched that this year um Orvis light best like it's super thin so i because otherwise i'm always hung up on branches
4: right Yeah, I have I have the PFG. I have a big winter coat because I've also bird hunted in eighteen degree weather with twenty mile an hour winds too. So, I mean, we're a rain or shine opportunity, you know. So, but we also do guided horseback hunts too, and we go up to a higher elevation, close to four thousand feet, you know. And it was eighteen degrees and thirty mile an hour winds, and I had to I had to pony five horses in for my guest, and they got we brought them in side by side because where we were going they, it was just too. it was snow and ice and it was just not good area for them. But, uh, you know, I wasn't going to take any inexperienced riders through there anyway. And I led five horses in and, um, but once we got up on top, it was good. It was good hunting. And in that case, somebody rides ahead with the dogs and, um, then the ride, then the guests and like, I usually wrangle, even if it's my guests that are guiding just because I can be with them and socialize with them and I can make sure they're safe on horseback. And then we have scabbards that we, um, they hold their shotgun in and then whoever's up front with the dogs will raise their hand and then we'll ride ahead up closer to them. And then, um, then they'll dismount, get their shotguns. I take their horses and then they go and, and then the, then the flusher is in a side by side because we don't want it to get hurt by the horses because it's so little, you know, so Yeah, it's it's a big system, but it, they're so fun though. And and everybody that's done them is like, oh my god, I I can't believe I've never done this, and we're gonna do it again. You know.
3: So you ride in by horse, but then you're yep. walking during the actual hunt. You're not using horses to like get yep. up to the dogs that are like a mile or two away.
4: No, we we ride horseback, and then the um the uh person who who has the dogs is usually, oh about a hundred yards away from us. And, um, so then when they stop and raise their hands, that means the dog's on point. And so then we, um, then I ride up with my, with my guest up to a certain point and then we stop and then they only have to walk like 10 feet usually to shoot. So, cause our horses are good. So.
3: All right. Interesting. So you can, I mean, you're covering, I mean, the dogs have to be covering just crazy miles on days like
4: that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty rocky and rough terrain. And sometimes like we have, we wrap their feet before we hunt in that area just because we, you know, and it's stickers and sage and, you know, just lava rock and steep country sometimes. And so, yeah. Well,
3: you got to make sure the dog's safe. I mean, the dog's oh, got, sure. I mean, that's what, that's one of my top priorities always. Like right. when we get to that icy crusty snow, yep. I normally just boot my dog so I don't have to worry about cut pads or, yep. or rub or especially if I'm up North for like, like this past this past grouse camp for mine we got some of the craziest weather I've ever seen where we were getting two to three inches of, this is late October here and normally we don't deal with snow that early but it was two to three inches every night with a start of five inches to kick the season off when I was up there. oh wow and I wasn't and I'm okay with hunting snow my dog's good with it but I just know I got a booter because she'll run hard through that snow to the point where she'll get some snowballs rubber pads they will get bloody <laughs> they'll start to ooze. And now I'm fighting a losing battle the entire time because now I have injured paws that I'm trying to keep in good enough shape to continue hunting. Whereas if I just boot her to begin with, then we don't have problems.
4: Right. And even when we go up there, even when it's not like, you know, dried out and like, you know, getting super bad, I – I am a, uh, an ounce of prevention is, you know, worth a pound of cure kind of girl. So like, I always like measure secret, my, my dog's pads and stuff beforehand. And then after, afterwards too, just to just soften things up, you know, I mean, I don't want, I don't I don't want to take any unnecessary risks, you know? So.
3: I mean, a cracked pad can be detrimental to a dog, depending on how bad, I mean, like it's not going to, it's not career ending. But it could no, be a couple it, it could be a couple can weeks
4: abscess and yeah then right it, yeah it could be bad news for her
3: absolutely well i always ask this or at least i normally do what are some of your favorite traditions because traditions to me are a really big thing especially because i'm a late onset hunter i took it on myself so i created my own traditions with the people that i hunt with yearly right. so traditions are big for me so what what annual traditions do you have, like with you and your mom and your sons?
4: Probably our annual tradition is our we hunt the the hunt that we take is for like I said the South Starkey private unit, which is an antlerless elk hunt. It's a cow hunt, and it, it's on our property, and it's just family. We don't allow um, any other. I mean, we have a couple people that we, my mom knows and that I know that will archery hunt, but um, rifle hunt. There's just a handful of us that go up, and it's always the week of Thanksgiving that draw is always the week of Thanksgiving. And so like, that's always kind of our family time is, and it, and it kind of started out because, oh, well then i got to take three days off work kind of thing. Sure. Know? Sure. But, but it's just, it's just turned into, you know, one of those things that everybody looks forward to the week of Thanksgiving because, you know, we start on Saturday and we, you know, camp up there, we hunt through and, you know, come down for dinner and, and, you know, I mean, it's not definitely not a formal affair at our place. At my right. home For, I mean, everybody comes in sometimes and if we're lucky, we come in bloody, you know, like right. we're, we're, we got an animal. So, you know, I mean, you know, so it's, I guess it's a little awkward for me. Sometimes like friends will invite me over. Oh, well, you know, we might've tagged out or whatever. We'll come over, you know, in the evening and just visit and have, to, and I'm like, do I have to dress up? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, because like because
3: jeans and a sweatshirt. Is that okay? I
4: have a hoodie on and some, <laughs> or yeah. <laughs> or I I'll need make to- sure. First. Yeah.
3: i'll make sure my clothes are clean that's the best you're going to get this time of year out of me
4: yeah. do you have a weak stomach that's my next <laughs> thing
3: <laughs> well that's all that's great that you do that every single year i mean yeah. that, that i mean it, i think traditions are just a big thing i really do
4: yeah
3: well we're coming up to that hour-long point which we always try to shoot for sometimes we go over it it's not a big deal who do you want to thank
4: uh, I want to thank my grandpas, but they're, they're both not with us anymore, but my grandpa would have just turned a One of them would have turned a hundred this year. Um, my mom and my dad, I mean, just for, you know, teaching me about the outdoors and my family, I'm also native. So I also, you know, know about roots and, and, you know, edible roots and finding groundwater and like a lot of, I guess, prepper or survivalist skills, but it's just, sure. been, it's just been tradition for me, like in my culture and just everybody that's, that's helped me, you know, become the person I am, you know, good and bad, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, you learn lessons all through your life. And, and I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of people in my life that have influenced me for the better. And, and I was in the medical field for 30 years and just the politics and everything got to be too much. And so in 2019, I just decided to walk away after 30 years and Now I'm doing what I love every day. So I work, I work tirelessly long hours and work hard, you know, even guiding, everybody's like, Oh, glamorous life. And I'm like, it's not all glamorous. You don't see all the work that goes into these hunts behind the scenes, you know, when I'm scouting or, you know, getting my dogs conditioned or, you know, they're cleaning your birds (laughs) or, you know, so
3: there's a lot, I mean, I think a lot of people take guiding for, for granted. I mean, every guide I've had on, which has only been one other one, but I know quite a few like guides in the industry, which I'll get on eventually. Anyways, they work hard. Every single one of them, because if you don't work hard, you're not going to succeed.
4: You're not going to be successful. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and I'm kind of the unicorn in the in the industry, too, because I am a woman and I had to work really hard for my pro status. And I had to prove myself to a lot of people and, you know, to um, in, just in the industry. And, you know. And, and I, I worked, I still work tirelessly, even though that I, you know, I'm a verified pro now, like I still work tirelessly just because that's how much I love what I do and how passionate I am about you know, just the, the love of the, of the hunt, you know, like the dogs, like you said, it's everything, it's the dogs, it's the camping, the cold mornings, it's, you know, it's the walking, it's, you know, shooting a a band of goose or, I mean, it's just, it's all aspects of it. And, you know, eating your eating, what you've harvested, you know, I mean, it's all, it's all an experience. And I'm just, I was blessed to, you know, everybody in my life that's ever, you know, help me out in any way, shape or form for sure. I'm super thankful that I'm blessed to be where I'm at today.
3: That's awesome. How can people find you if you want to follow you on social media?
4: Well, I am on Instagram and it's M-I-S-S Miss Guided Hunter. It's Miss Underscore Guided Underscore Hunter. And I also um, created and started my own clothing company. And that's called Cancel Flights Clothing Company. So hence bird hunting, we're canceling flights. Sure, absolutely. (laughs) So um, those are the two Instagrams that I have. And um, I'm also on uh, Facebook. Cancel Flight Clothing Company is on Facebook. And uh, Charmin Stewart Sams is, I'm on Facebook.
3: All right, and I've looked at some of your stuff for cancel flights. Eventually, I'm going to quit being lazy and order myself a hat because you, you just got some great hats, and I'm absolutely a hat guy. So. <laughs> I haven't it on right now. I just got
4: to work.
3: So. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I have a clothing company, which I don't wear the clothing from. Uh,
4: you're right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I don't want to get it dirty. No. <laughs> right.
3: That's true. Only when hunting, right? Right. Because <laughs> that doesn't count.
4: Right. No, we've got some new, nice hoodies and new, new, nice uh, ball caps for sure. So, and those are all Oregon made. Our manufacturer of our hats and hoodies that makes those are from Springfield and Eugene area and the, um, free horse workwear, Seth Reno at free horse workwear in Prineville. He does all of our leather patchwork and puts all of our stuff and our screen printing together for us. And then I'm Oregon native also. So yeah, a little bit of the That's West coast.
3: That's <laughs> awesome. Um, Anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you want to say?
4: No, I'm good. I'm just thankful that, you know, you reached out to me and asked me to be on your show. I appreciate Absolutely. it.
3: Absolutely. It's been a great show. I mean, we touched base on everything. I mean, you, <laughs> right. you, have a, you have a whole slew of a lifestyle over there that I have no idea about, to be yeah, honest.
4: True. I, guide, I guide six months out of the year and then I cowgirl and do cows and... And ranch work the other six months out of the year. And I'm fortunate the owner owns both ranches. So I, I don't have to move. So that, oh, that's, that's nice. But yeah, so it's a lot of fun. It's, I mean, you get to be a cowgirl and you get to hunt. I mean, who can complain about that?
3: I I, I don't know. I, I really, I mean,
4: right. obviously, I
3: mean, it, obviously no, it okay. has to be pretty good if you gave up a metal career to go to it. I mean, it's not that it's less work,
4: oh, but no, it's no, a, no.
3: it's a more fulfilling type of work
4: right and i just went back to my roots honestly now you know i mean all all the slave labor i put in when i was a kid on our ranch now i get paid to do it now
3: (laughs) there you go there you go i get paid for my upbringing now i like it i like it well i think we're gonna end it right now and sign it off i think that's i appreciate you being on i mean you brought a whole different viewpoint to the show that we haven't
4: had yet so i'm really thankful for that Well, thank you for reaching out again. Like I said, I'm truly honored that you reached out to me and asked me to be a part of it. and I'm excited to see what the future holds for you and for me.
3: Absolutely. I I see good things in both futures. I really do. I do too. Well, everyone, thanks for tuning in again. And until next time.
1: Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.